Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends and probably some rando too, but no complaining because this is free. Free. This is beauty and the beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. This week I sat down for an interview with Benjamin Boyce. Benjamin graduated from the famous Evergreen State College just after the protests that caused the world to cringe in 2017. Since then, he's been documenting on YouTube the inner workings of the college and critiquing the language games of op-ed activism. His channel also features awesome hats and bitchin' cats, I am told. So if you like what you hear, and I hope that you will, check out Benjamin's channel using the link in the description. Thanks for listening and enjoy. The question I ask you is that there's always, next to your left elbow, a wall socket, and I wonder if you're ever going to put like a nightlight in there and... (laughs) If you are, will it be like a Avenger or a DC Comics kind of nightlight? Or uh, I'm not a, not a big nightlight guy. Although this is uh, the place in which I sit is the quote unquote master bedroom of this of this dwelling. Um, so it used to be a bedroom, and I've since kind of made it into makeshift studio space. Uh, I always get pressured by people to put more things on the wall or something, but I just I don't I don't like clutter, you know. Yeah. For so. Sure. Um, so, but maybe there, I've always thought maybe there's an opportunity to like put very small, hardly noticeable things as kind of a, I don't know, see who notices or like sort of a trolley thing yeah, to do yeah, or just yeah, slightly yeah, change things. Yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But things are pretty static. Yeah. It's, I've left it pretty much the same since I moved into this room uh, to at least move, made this into the makeshift studio space that it is uh, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, so pretty much nothing has changed in here. So I've been watching your stuff and watching, I, I haven't really seen you develop because I've all been, only been watching you for about a year and a half now since the Evergreen yeah. stuff that yeah, happened yeah. in the spring of 2017. But I, I noticed that every once in a while you reference when your liberal past or mm-hmm. that you used to be more left. And it seems like there's a distance that's growing and, and I don't really jive with the phrase, the political is personal, but I, I do think ideology is rooted in biography. So I just wanted to know like, about how you started grappling with politics and, and how you've slowly been kind of formulating your position as not left. I don't know if you're necessarily right, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess the closest place... I'm not a big labels guy. Yeah, um, I, know, but the, I know. The, the closest place I... The closest home I have now, I would say, is some somewhere in that like libertarian, classical liberal sphere. Yeah. Um, I, I would say these days that most of my friends are conservative or on the right, mm-hmm. but I don't even know that that's necessarily due to ideological conformity. We have common ground, but mostly for me, those those are. Uh, strangely enough, because when I was growing up, it seemed like the opposite was true. Those are where the tolerant people are these days. Mm. Those are the people who are actually willing to uh, to engage with ideas that they might not agree with and that sort of thing. Now, I know that's not true of everybody, but in general, as I've shifted uh, in my perspective a little bit, people on the right, even people with fringe ideas on the right, have been far more welcoming to to people like mm. me uh, and and been far more willing to discuss 
differences of ideas than people, even some friends I've had on the left where it's like, you will conform, you will uh, adopt the group think, you will uphold the tenets of our religion, basically, or you will be uh, you will be exiled. And I, I don't know. I often wonder how much was I exiled? Did I choose to leave? How did this mm. all happen? But anyway, to, um, did you hashtag walk away? <laughs> I, I walked away before it was walk away, you could say, but to answer your question. Um, so I've actually always been really politically interested. Oh, really? Uh, I, yeah, well, always, at least, um, Is that what you studied you know, in college? Yeah, I was a political science major. Oh, so, okay. Um, I'm actually less interested in like the, like advocacy or professional politics than I am in just political observation. You know, uh, I love the theater of politics. It's always been Mm -hmm. highly entertaining to me. I have no ambition to be a politician. Really? No, no, no desire to do that at all. Not even a little participation in political theater. Nope, not really. Uh, I, I mean, I, I am a participant to some degree, you know, doing this, but that's, Mm -hmm. it's pretty small scale, minor stuff. Um, I, I, I like talking to people about ideas. I I don't want to mm, okay. craft policy. I don't want to deal with that. And I also okay. don't want to be scrutinized to the degree that politicians are where <laughs> you, you know, you have to maintain, you have to say everything right. You can, well, you, you put know. a lot of material out there. So if yeah, there's, there's plenty of material of me saying things that could be definitely used against me too. But I've, I, I, you know, when I was in high school, um, that was like the height of the Iraq war and it was like okay. very yeah. cool to be anti Bush and, and hate the war and all that. And that's who I was. I was one of those like left wing teenagers, you know? Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I f- kind of fell into line with the mainstream democratic party at the time. And I went to college and I, uh, I was, you know, I was all for, I was all excited about Obama in 2008 and, and that was great. And, uh, and you know, I voted for him again in 2012, as recently as 2012. Um, and over time, definitely precipitated by some, you know, some factors that we can get into. I've, I've shifted my perspective in that I used to believe in a lot more, a lot larger role for government in terms okay, of yeah. tax and spend and, and what the government can do in terms of providing opportunity for people. My, my skepticism of government has definitely shifted in that regard. But the one thing I've never uh, shifted my perspective on is the importance of free speech. And back when I was on the left team, I thought that was like the common tenet was because, you know, back when my when, when my worldview was forming, it was like. You know, the, the the church ladies were trying to censor your Grand Theft Auto, you know, and stuff like And I didn't like that. I still don't like that. But these days, it's the Anita Sarkeesians trying to tell you that Grand Theft Auto is sexist and all that. Yeah, yeah so, there's, there's a redressing of that puritanical uh, force in our culture. And it, it's gone through some sort of weird hoop-de-hoop. Yeah. Where now, instead of like a blue-haired you know, church lady, it's a purple-haired, you know... Uh, college girl that's still trying to force a certain sort of uh group think yeah. or or conformity and it, it seems like it's the same force it's just redressed yeah and it's force it's focusing on different issues now and it could go back yeah it totally could go back i i try to be as honest as i can and call out the same type of behavior from um you know from right-wing people when i see it but generally i don't see the right trying to shut down speech in that way as frequently as i see it on the left anymore but that that is the one issue that um that precipitated or you know that accelerated my divorce with the left the one uh singular instance i reference all the time 
it's more than two years ago now, but if you recall, there was a Trump rally in Chicago and, um, and protesters basically shut it down by force. They shut it down by going in, by going into the event. It was in some kind of like, I forget what the venue is, sort of some sort of stadium style venue. Mm-hmm. They went in and they shut it down by force. And, uh, everybody that I knew, like, I don't know, friends of mine, pundits on TV, they were all kind of happy about this. Oh, and I'm because we all hate Trump, of course. And even at the time I thought, you know, Trump's an idiot and I, I never could have foreseen a world in which I would vote for him, but th- that was, that was at the time. But I remember just being lost in my own thoughts, like, okay, I get it. We don't like Trump, but are we really celebrating physical or forceful deplatforming of a candidate for office of political speech? Cause I'm not down with that. Mm-hmm. I'm not participating in that. That's something then, that you refrain. That's one of your refrains in your work. It's um, yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't think I will ever waver on free speech, but particularly something as, as um, purely within the scope of the first amendment as a politician's stump speech, that is crucially important to protect. Hmm. That is, that is at the core of the first amendment. And I know that it wasn't the government shutting down that speech, but that was a cultural abandonment of the values behind the first amendment. And as soon as you abandon those values culturally, you're in trouble. I mean, you start, I'm not saying mm-hmm. laws are coming, but law is a reflection of culture at some level. Yeah. On some level, there's one, I've been studying this evergreen debacle, which is it's now it's kind of old news. It's very old news, but I've, I, I was a student there and I've been looking at it and I've been talking to people who are evergreeners or greeners as we call ourselves. And mm-hmm. one of the refrains from the left critique of the protests themselves is that these protesters were appealing to the authority. They were appealing to the, the administration. Mm-hmm. And the critique of that is that Okay, so you want the administration to have more power to control everybody's speech and to control everybody's behavior. What happens when the administration switches hands? Yeah. And and so it it, it is a worrisome prospect that the people who are protesting for draconian, I don't know, who are acting in draconian manners and on these uh, private entities like Twitter and, and YouTube and Facebook are trying to stifle speech once that mechanism of speech and of stifling of speech gets out of the the hands of their side or is used against them, it doesn't seem like they have an end game. It never seems like they consider that. And that is why it's so important to stand up for fundamental rights like speech, even when you don't agree with it. It's like, you know, people. The reason I go to bat for people like Alex Jones, for example, is not because mm-hmm. I'm like the biggest Infowars fanboy. Truth be told, I hardly ever looked at Infowars stuff until I look at it more recently now because he's banned. You know, it's okay, it's yeah. the Streisand effect. You know, um, but but yeah, it's the, the, when you think about free speech, the cultural value, not just the legal principle, but the cultural value. There are both selfish and altruistic ways to consider it. And both are equally important. One is I'm going to protect your right to speak because I believe that as a human, that is, that is a, you know, an intrinsic or inherent right to you. And all humans ought to have that right. The other part of it is though, look, I want to be free to say what I want to say. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I let it slip for you, well, I've created precedent for someone to come and stop me from speaking in the way that I see fit. So Hmm. I think both are important. I try to, I try to reiterate, you know, both angles of that as much as possible, depending on 
the audience I've found hmm. some sometimes people are more persuaded by like the selfish argument and sometimes people are more persuaded by okay. the I'm looking out for other people argument. And I, I think they're both equally important, to be honest. But when you speak, you speak with a certain sort of set of principles. Like there's sure. certain things that you don't say, even though you're okay with other people saying certain things. Uh, you oh, you mean say. like like uh, when you say certain things I don't say, like things I, that would be out of bounds? Well, you have certain ethics that you bear into conversation. I, well, I, hmm. I guess I'm teasing out that it seems like people are conflating principles of how they they behave like i don't want to ever treat somebody else like this by saying these yeah. words and construing that personal ethic with some sort of they want to enforce that ethic and what's the line between those two things between having personal discipline and, and wanting to d discipline others yeah uh i guess i hadn't put a lot of thought to that but um, the difficulty with speech issues is that the line, as you put it, is almost impossible to objectively define mm. outside of, um, outside of the objectively definable and the, and the areas in which speech is connected to some sort of victimization beyond the speech itself. So it's easy to, to you know, I mean, the court has already carved those out essentially yeah. like if i if i defame you if i if i slander you if i cause you damage in that way if i consume child pornography there's an actual child victim of mm -hmm. that particular form of speech if i'm inciting people to come to your home tomorrow if i create a credible plan to commit violence against you sure those sorts of things but in terms of where it gets sticky is people think that they can set objective lines around basically opinion and i don't think that that's possible to okay. do you know, if it's just like, it is my opinion that, and maybe the opinion is, you know, disgusting to 99% of people. <laughs> so what? I mean, who owns, who owns the thoughts in your head? It, as soon as you surrender, as soon as we decide, no, society at large should be able to have some regulation of the thoughts in your head, the simple opinions in your head. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, oh man, that's, I mean, it's that. I hesitate to use the word slavery. That's not what I mean, I guess. Well, but, yeah. But, yeah. but not having the freedom to your own thoughts is about as, uh, about a, as fundamental a condition of slavery as exists. Mm -hmm. But you still have the... I guess, so it seems that the choice is on you to either participate in speech or not participate in speech that you find offensive or grotesque mm -hmm. or even harmful, to use the, the refrain. But it's not uh, the responsibility of this inter, this interpersonal entity, this corporation, this yeah. government to to regulate that. Well, the other the other thing that just puzzles me about the hostility to speech is uh, there are tons of examples of speech that I don't like or that actually offends me. You know, people could say things on the internet. People take you know, people say things about my family, for example, terrible okay, things. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff like that. Now, is it my job to try to like purge the internet of that sort of thing? Or if I see something on the internet, can I just say, mm, you know, I don't like this, so I'm going to turn it off and go find something else to mm -hmm. my taste. And what's weird to me is there's all kinds of stuff on the internet that people are entertained by or in real life, for example, that I just don't get. Take the example of, take a non-offensive example of wrestling. Like I don't get it. Okay. It's, it's, it's fake. I think it's obviously fake. I don't get why it's entertaining to some people, but they like it. For, so for me, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to watch this. I'll turn it off and I'll go find something else I like. But 
for a lot of these people, these, these authoritarian-minded types, they have this urge to say not just that I'm not going to consume this, but I'm going to take that extra step to try to ensure that nobody can consume it. And that is very weird to me. Okay. I can't yeah. understand that mindset. But what about the case of, let's just, let's say that there is uh, a, a uh, very fundamental extremist religion, mm-hmm. which is a form of speech that is very virulent. It It's catching hold of people and people are starting to repeat it and get into it. And it, that eventually leads them into stifling people's freedom. Is there a, is there a case to be made to allow a, a religion and I'm not meaning any religion. We can even say social justice or any of these. Yeah. Spaghetti monsterism, whatever you want. Any, any of that. Is, is there, um, is there a time where we need to kind of target that, that, framework of speech it's not just Hmm. words but it's a whole ideological framework and do we want an entity do that or do individuals need to combat that by yeah through discourse it's a it's a good question i will admit that at the foundation of my worldview and philosophy on this is a belief that most people are available to reason and evidence okay uh, and and quality information when it is made available to them now is that a Hmm. is that (laughs) For sure true for every individual, doubtful. I've seen plenty of examples of people who, given pretty Loctite information, will still adhere to their ideology in the face of evidence to the contrary. Um, But I do believe that, generally speaking, more more people than not are available to reason and, and available to changing their minds when superior reasoning or superior evidence is presented to them. But I have to admit and acknowledge that that is a fundamental premise that I accept. If you don't, then you then you open the okay. door to all sorts of things that you're talking about, which is, do we actually have to control the ideas that people can consume? Well, and, and maybe crowdsource the criticism of the ideas that people hmm. consume, such as what I see and what I participate in and what you participate in as critics of culture, or at least critics of cultural products, going out there and looking at ideas, looking at what people are saying. There's something brilliant that you said about the, the Kavanaugh um, proceedings or the pre-proceedings to that. And you, and you called out people for misrepresenting him. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that seemed like a, a value that, that you put out there. And, and in putting that out there, you, you bring attention to a certain value and people can, uh, I guess, are attracted to reason. You, you, you by participating in the product, uh, in the project of, of, of culture, of, of, of taking ideas, fighting against them or disagreeing with them. Maybe I don't, we don't need to say fighting. You're actually having an effect on the conversation and, and kind of lifting it higher. I wonder if, if you, if you're conscious of that and, and if that's something that, that kind of gives you fuel to, to participate in this. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. Um, I, I do think it's important to represent arguments, represent people properly, even if it's your enemy and you don't like them. Uh, so I try to I try to do that as much as I can uh, for I suppose for a few reasons. Like one is I just think it's a fun, it's the fundamentally right thing to do. It's the sure. right way to treat other people. But the other part of it is like again, I mean you could you could talk about this in a couple of different ways. One would be what is the right way to treat other people? I think it's, it squarely fits within that. But the other aspect of it is the selfish angle. Like if, 
If you're an ideological opponent of mine and you have a position and you've made an argument and I, you know, I totally misrepresented, I straw man in it and I knocked down the, you know, some sort of gross mischaracterization of what you said to pat myself on the back and, you know, tell all my friends Mm -hmm. in my echo chair, echo chamber about how I owned you. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe it gets, uh, maybe it gets social media likes or whatever, but have you really done yourself the best intellectual service? Mm -hmm. Have you really tested yourself against the strongest possible opponent Mm -hmm. and and if so if you haven't is is your argument truly the strongest you're actually harming yourself there because you're not actually forming in treating the opposition argument seriously and strongly you are in turn strengthening your own perspective and sometimes you even change your mind you know i mean isn't it we're going back to just hearing about uh, you know when you hear some piece of reasoning that sort of changes your perspective whenever you get those isn't i love when that happens when someone presents me with something that changes like my my um preconception about something Mm. or changes like when when someone changes my mind with a really good argument it it honestly i think it feels great like sometimes people Mm. i think it people fear saying like i don't know or like they view changing their mind as some kind of concession or weakness i think it's like the best i love when that happens to be honest yeah, it's almost a feeling of, of being upgraded in, yeah. in, on a software level. You're like, oh, I, I'm more efficient now in a way. Yeah. There's this new area that I get to explore that, that yeah. I have access to. And I've been, I've been on like a two-year trip of changing my mind. On a oh, really? Things, so kind of, yeah. I mean, I think my... So you're like my, a mood ring? Just like well, I don't know if I'm that... Uh, I don't know if I'm that volatile. But maybe it's just... Maybe there's some truth to the fact that as you grow older, you... Hmm. become more conservative or something. I don't know. It's just, uh, so you, but you say, when you say changing, you're changing in a certain direction then, or, or you just always finding new things? Well, I, I, going back to what we were saying earlier, I, I have a tough time thinking, I have a tough time evaluating yeah. how much of my mind is changing versus how much the, the world is changing around me because I, I like to think I was always mostly like a pro-liberty person, um, hmm. but I've definitely changed my mind on some things economically. Cha- definitely changed my mind on guns. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Changed my mind on. I oh, man, the the one question that still just just you know ties my mind up in knots is uh, is the abortion issue. I can't. Yeah. Hmm. I can't figure out uh, what to do about it, and the one thing. You know, back in my day, back in my day, it was like uh, you could make the everybody I knew making the liberty argument, the pro-choice argument was still conceding that there are serious, serious moral and ethical considerations in play. And these days it's the Mm -hmm. it's the shout your abortion. It's the abortion pride. It's the Mm -hmm. there are no moral considerations here. In fact, you're a moral hero for doing it, that sort of thing. And that's what's really pushed me away uh, a little bit. Interesting. Uh, At Evergreen, uh, every few months, the the anti-abortion group shows up with these billboards of abortions, mm. right? With the, you know, the fetuses and the yeah. placentas and stuff. And now it seems like the pro-abortion people are doing that now. They're making hats with fetuses like dangling out of it. You yeah. know, it's like, it's still the shock tactic and, and it devalues the, the, it seems like from the, from the anti-abortion, you're making it more valuable, but from the pro-abortion, when you go into that, territory and i see that with progressives and lefts once you get down and dirty with leftist 
ideas it doesn't have the same force for whatever reason hmm. from the from the more very conservative or very fundamental uh hmm. i'm going to shock people into into seeing how grotesque this is rather than i'm going to shock people into seeing how free i am like with the hmm. what's her name her netflix show you did michelle wolf yeah michelle wolf like God. she was making light of it situation. already canceled that show it's she already like gone three months or something like that yeah right? it was i think it was since may yeah yeah and she was done by the end of July. Yeah. Who could have foreseen? Yeah. God, Netflix. But have you, with regards to dealing with political issues, mm-hmm. uh, the gun rights thing, I saw you get in a little bit of heat. Have you have you seen uh, blowback from certain issues? And, and when you do receive blowback, do you kind of go look stronger at what what's mm. happening there? Or, or do you have an emotional... Mm. Uh, I mean, some sometimes there's resistance, like, for instance, right now on our streams, definitely got some like immigration hardliners who are coming after me. Um, they're, they're trying to they're making a They're making a, uh, a serious case. So I shouldn't say coming after me because they're making their they're making serious arguments. But yeah, we've been going back on immigration on the streams quite a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've had some I, I've, I don't know. That's just, I think we I think we just got some people that are pretty hardline about it that i probably pro or anti well really protectionist like like total immigration moratorium type stuff oh okay Okay. uh so that's actually been kind of interesting i mean we've been having it's for whatever reason it's been more about economic cost benefits uh as opposed to like i don't know just do people have a right to come here or something it's not that Mm -hmm. kind of question it's like what is helpful and harmful to the American economy, those sorts of things. Mm. And honestly, I'm not like, mm. I'm not expert economist guy. I'm not expert immigration guy. Mm. So those are areas that are a little bit outside my wheelhouse, but um, we've, I've had, uh, mm. I've had some people challenging on that, you know, guns actually, I don't think I get uh, a ton of pushback on gun stuff. Really. Most of it is most of the pushback that I see is like uh, on Twitter uh, you know, you get, you get, a, you get a few people on Twitter, like because people retweet or it gets shared to maybe yeah, like yeah. more left-wing people. And then occasionally I'll get like an email because, you know, if people share videos on Facebook or something and generally, generally the, a lot of the pushback I get is not from like, hmm. uh, core audience, you know, like people who okay. are watching pretty much all the time or every video yeah. it's from people who happen to see it shared somewhere else. And obviously they, they don't agree with my perspective. I'm like, I had one, one email just set me off, <laughs> just made me so mad like two really? or three weeks ago because um, it was some guy who had seen a video. So a while back there was a video circulating on social media that was about um, it was about a hypothetical race, like a foot race. Okay. And this teacher gave all the, he, he said, if you, if, if these characteristics are true of you, take one step forward. The if privilege. You, yeah. Race, it was the privilege yeah. foot race. And I'd made a whole video really, I, that, that video bothered me with a lot of the assumptions it was making and a lot of the lessons it was supposedly teaching. So I, I broke that down and I, that was a while ago, but I got an email from some guy who had happened to see it. Uh, and it's not that he disagreed. That's not what bothered me it's that he told me i need to get black friends so i understand oh wait i and thought you weren't supposed to have black friends <laughs> it's uh it's that le- it's it that level of um of presumption just yeah. drives me nuts where it's like yeah. oh i know you're i i'm not gonna take on your argument 
I just, I know you think this because you don't have certain friends or something. It's that, that sort of thing just drives me nuts, but it circumvents your ability to defend yourself because it reduces and it, it throws all the argument, all the work that you put into argument out the window. Yeah. It's like, okay, way. I have, I have some black friends and I still stand by the, <laughs> the argument I made. What now? Okay. What uh, now? So it, it's just a, it's a cul-de-sac, but you're kind of thrust into it. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I receive the, the stuff that I respond to emotionally usually has some sort of element of patronizing into it or presumptiveness in, in it. And th yeah. that's what really sparks me because I, and I don't know why I, I think that might have to do with my childhood things. Mm. I haven't resolved what, yet. What's your strategy? Are you, uh, I go back and forth thinking ignoring it is the best option. Or sometimes I'm like, nah, man, rip them, rip them to shreds. And I reply yeah. like just, as aggressively as I can. What's what's your go-to strategy? Well, it's it's asymmetrical. The contest is asymmetrical because I have a platform, and mm. they have a comment field or they have an email, and then I have my I have my channel, right? Yeah. So, so it's asymmetrical. I can come down on them with all the power that I have, but then I'm reducing myself to their argument, uh, or I'm I'm giving them a platform. So, mm. so I, either if I don't handle it correctly, if if I let my emotions get into it then I then I lose automatically because I'm no longer in the sphere of actually having a, a fruitful inter, interchange. So you, you got to flirt with the dark side a little bit. Sometimes. Well, the, the, the temptation's there. Yeah, it's fun, for man. Sure. I, I don't do it to all of them because that's a waste of time. But the really bad ones. OK, ooh, I indulge. I indulge for sure. OK, well, but you bring you bring good gun. You, you bring wit and intelligence to the conversation. Mm. No, <laughs> you should see some of my email. I mean, you see, you see the videos. Okay. I mean, I'm talking like savage emails, but to people who, who oh, email really? deserving it. Hey, yeah. I mean, it's not like I, it's not like I get personal. I just, you know, if you're going to email trying to rip me, I'm going okay. to rip you back, which is bad for me to say. Cause now, you know, I'll probably get some troll emails from people trying okay. to bait me. Can you tell the difference between a troll and somebody's actually pushing your buttons? Do you have like mm, a, a spidey sense I'd about like that? I like to think my sense is pretty good but you know a good troll can fool almost anybody yeah well a really really good troll a master yeah. 11 plus troll yeah i don't know well that, that's another thing about trolling country uh culture and another thing about trump when we go back to speech like is and you you you, you said something about taking somebody seriously and somebody mm -hmm. like trump i'm not gonna come down one way or the other on him but it seems like he he runs on instinct and I always have yeah. to contextualize what he says, but some people don't have the ability to contextualize that and really take him seriously when you, when I wouldn't take him seriously and, and judge him more on his actions than his words. And yeah. in the case of, and I wonder if, if the whole free speech thing, it's almost too symmetrical or too coincidental that free speech is coming to the fore right now when we have a commander in chief who so free with his speech. Hmm. And, That's one way to put it. Yeah. He definitely and, likes to uh, push the, well, I suppose what he says is, is not really pushing the boundaries of like your average citizen, but what he says definitely pushes the boundaries of what is the expected hmm. style of a president, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you appreciate that? That he's violating um, that style? depends it's context dependent okay. um sometimes i think it is um 
not only appreciated, but necessary. Uh, uh, sometimes I think, for example, mm. like I think he goes after, I think he goes after the press on terms that are too general. You know, everything's fake news and everything's enemy okay. of the people. There's with Trump, basically the Trump rule is in, in my evaluation, most of the time what he's talking about, there is a core element of truth and then it's kind of blown out of proportion or too generalized. So, so that would be okay. a classic oh, example where it's like, I do believe that I'll, uh, certain members and or maybe even a majority of the press have really done a hack job on a lot of things, especially in the last few years. And I think they're very worthy of criticism. And I'm like, to, I like to see a politician who's got the balls to stand up to him a mm. little bit. I appreciate that. The other side of it is like, should he be as broad I mean, uh, but uh, what am I, am I going to ask Trump to be a surgeon? You know, I mean, he takes a sledgehammer to every fight. That's what he does. And sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's a little bit cringy. Like, uh, huh. I don't know. I mean, I found, um, uh, like I found, I wasn't, I wasn't super thrilled with like his whole handling of, of the McCain funeral and just kind of being petty about that sort of thing. The other side of it is I wasn't thrilled that the whole funeral itself became like this political grandstanding. I guess it's just uh, so annoying to me that everything these days is about like political grudges and everything okay. is a political display. Uh, anyway, to, so I don't veer off of your question too much. It's like, I would say that I, I appreciate that aspect of him more than I, more than I don't, but um, I reserve the right and exercise the right to cringe massively when it is necessary because <laughs> it happens frequently. But I even kind of appreciate the cringe a little bit because <laughs> when when the cringe comes, you know the backlash to the cringe that he's causing from the media, from the Democrats, is going to be probably worse than what he did in the first place. And why is that? Why I don't know. How I don't know. Have they lost... Is that is that indicative of the media environment that they have to overreact or they? I don't. Have I've I've been well, I've, even politically. I've just been baffled with uh, with sort of the direction of the Democratic Party in response to this. Mm. Because the reality is, I mean, uh, I I think um, overall, I think Trump's speaking and rhetoric lend himself to making a lot of enemies. I think. As a policy matter, I think things are actually going fa fairly decently, to be honest. I don't have a problem with the direction the country's going in terms of if mm. policy right now. But uh, if but Trump is so, I mean, Trump provides enough uh, sound bites to be mm -hmm. unpopular mm -hmm. that if the Democrats just trotted out like reasonable, moderate guy or gal who's like, listen. This, this guy's kind of a jackass. We got some some ideas here that I think most Americans are uh, mm -hmm. uh, on board with. They're very mm -hmm. modest, moderate proposals. If you would like American progress with a little more a little more class, uh, vote for us. Instead, they're they're they the candidates that seem to be uh, popping up in the party are are honestly extreme on a lot of issues. I mean, we're seeing this, this socialist Democrat or the democratic yeah. socialist trend, uh, coming up. Um, the way, like the way they've gone on economics, some of their ideas on guns, uh, they're certainly their ideas on borders. They're way outside mainstream, uh, mainstream American thought. And it just seems to me as incredibly politically unwise, just put somebody out there who's much more capable of capturing that sort of, 
kind of Trump annoyed center and you'll probably mm. win, but they don't, for whatever reason, they're not doing that. I think maybe it's just a, it's a party that's lacking leadership. You know, ever since Obama took office, they, who, who's mm. been the leader of the Democratic Party? You could name maybe like five to 10 people, but none of them are clearly the presumptive bring that, leader. Bring that into focus. And Bernie so he had a chance to do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, an outside chance when we get into the real politic, but. But because there's no like take charge person with a more moderate perspective, it's like all the fringe or the fringy people have sort of taken control by default. And I think it's really unwise if, I mean, hmm. if I was a democratic strategist, you gotta get, you gotta hmm. get somebody with who's more aligned with just kind of middle America views. And I don't necessarily mean like geographical middle. I just, I use my mom and dad as, um, as hmm. kind of a proxy. My parents are like Reagan Democrats, basically. Like they generally have voted Democrat their whole life. They might deviate a little bit if there's a Republican that, um, that captures their, captures hmm. their interest. But I remember I was out with my dad a couple of weeks ago, and, and I think my dad has voted Democrat in most elections in his life. And he's just like, I, I, can't, I can't vote for this party. They're just too crazy on too mm. many issues. Like, I can't vote for, like, no gun, like open borders. You can't defend yourself, and we're going to have, like, communism light. <laughs> and I know that's maybe a slight exaggeration after I just talked about representing your opposition fairly. But yeah, yeah. I'm speaking just kind of in jest here, you know? And yeah. it's... It, well, you're you're speaking about optics that that are, the optics themselves are are certainly realistic that people could hmm. see that 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 a majority of people could see that. What what how would that damage our country? Do you think to have uh, a majority Republican a majority Republican government without a strong opposition, without a moderate opposition? How could that eventually? I mean, in, in general, I'd be skeptical of of you know, a one party control, regardless of whether I agree with it or not, for the same yeah. reasons we were, we were discussing earlier. It's like, all right, it might be cool while it's doing things that you like. Yeah. Okay. But while it's doing things you don't, it's, it's quite bad. I think the, hmm. the one thing, you know, what I actually fear the most about Democrats potentially taking control of Congress is not even necessarily the policy issues that we just discussed, even though I do like, I, I, do not want their ideas on borders and the economy and guns to be to become the legal standard. And with Trump in the White House, they probably wouldn't anyway. But mm. what actually bothers me the most is if they get into power and it's not unique to them because Republicans have done it too and will do it in the future. It's just going to be endless investigation after endless investigation. Oh, okay. yeah. And it's just at this point, we've got like a federal government that exists to investigate itself, you know, mm. and it's mm. I, w I wish we could have more common ground on the left with this because it's like, all right, you don't you don't like you don't like uh, what Trump is doing. You you wish Trump had less power. Like, why can't we agree on less power within the federal government generally? Like you guys hate Trump. Wouldn't it be great if you had basically more local control over pretty much everything? Yeah. Why can't we, why, I, I guess I'll never understand mm. the like hatred of the person in the office, but still the idea that the federal government, yeah, the, yeah. Like we hate the guy who has the central control right now, Yeah. but we also want central control. It's just, we want the central control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it seems like we should be able to agree on decentralized control. So it doesn't matter who's in office. Yeah. But we can't uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, I, I find that has uh, a parallel in the uh, in what what's happening or has been happening on college campuses hmm. with uh, the the authoritarian. I I don't really think that 
cultural Marxism is that useful of a term, but there is a certain ideological bent in our in our colleges and more importantly in our school system is very much very very left and and mm. people are getting indoctrinated all the way up into into college um and so i i want more of a balance in our education system I, i'm worried more about our education system i than I, I, am, I, I, I know i'm not interviewing that. you but i'm curious was evergreen was evergreen as kooky when you were there as it has been for, or at least was in the last year or two Oh, it went full, full kook while I was there. Like okay. I was there, I, I, I got in, I did college really late. I got in at 2013 Okay. and then I graduated in 2017. Oh, uh, so right. So did you, were you there when it, this broke out or had you just finishing, graduated? I was finishing my, my senior thesis. Thing. Oh gosh. In okay, the so you were actually, you were physically there when all that I was, happened. I was in the building. And then wow. my next class, I was directly targeted with the same speech acts that was thrown okay. at George Bridges. So I witnessed it firsthand. And I had seen, I had been working in the media department. So I had been in a lot of these meetings and recording yeah. these seminars and these uh, so, these panels. So was it to... surprising to you when it reached like peak insanity? Or was it something that you had kind of foreseen? And again, uh, I know I'm kind of hijacking your interview. So if you want to switch, but this stuff's really interesting to me because that story just captivated me last year. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll just talk about one little thing. About yeah, sure. Three or four months before the protest, there was a sign-in ceremony for the chief of police, Stacey Brown. Yes. And yeah. I, I worked this event and I set up the two speakers and the microphone and I had my little audio card and I heard that there was going to be a protest. Mm. and but what happened was that these i shouldn't call them kids but i don't know what else to call them a bunch of these young i could think of much worse things to call oh, them. okay <laughs> then all well, a bunch of the kids showed up yeah. just screaming you know uh da -da 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 -da, fuck the police no no right. justice no police and they were screaming and yelling and screaming and the the cop the the police force came and the the administration came and the the very big children just uh, use that as a platform to not have any sort of discussion whatsoever. It was like they were incapable of having discussion. All they could do was scream. There was one slightly maybe assault that happened that I hmm. kind of saw. And then what they did, like they were yelling and screaming at the administrators and then the, the police, of course. And, and they were laughing at the same time and then eating all the free food there. And was food provide? Oh, that's right. I forgot. Didn't the, George Bridges buy them pizza or something? Well, that was that was during the that was at the protest. But for right. the sign in ceremony, they they had this they had this cause that was really important to them. But at the same time, they were more in it for the for the lulls. Right. And then they were eating the cake and stuff. And I was really, really pissed off about that uh, because that of the God, the whole thing just sucks, man. It's like uh, this is it's one thing I was thinking about the whole time is is guys like you basically who are just there to 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 be to get your degree in an honest way. Like you're just trying yeah. to work hard. You're trying to get yes, your degree. You're trying to move on with your life. All the while, these people are not only sabotaging your ability to just function normally on the campus that, mm -hmm. that where you're studying, but they're sabotaging the the name of the university. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like it. It sucks to come out like with that evergreen degree at the time where the college is just being savaged in the news, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. it, well, it sucks. Furthermore, there, 
Uh, one story that I really need to focus on is the the bystanders. A lot of people have been laid off. A lot of people who had nothing to do with this social justice stuff. Oh, laid off because of the financial realities yeah, or what? Okay. They, they got a, I th between a 20 and 25% enrollment drop this year. Yeah. And it's 6.3 million uh, funding loss. So they, yeah. they've closed down a lot of different facilities while they've upped their equity and diversity administration. And George Bridges is still in power, right? Oh, yeah, he's still in power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's no stopping him. But <laughs> anyway, so I, I come into this whole cultural criticism YouTube thing through that, through seeing yeah. through seeing systematically these professors teach this certain sort of framework and not hand people, young people, the ability to think around ideas, but to yeah, use ideas. Dude, that stuff is crazy because when I was in school back in my day, and this was 06 to 2010, mm -hmm. all of my professors were... Uh, strong adherence to the Socratic method, man. Mm, like you're mm -hmm. you're going to go to class, you're going to take a position on the reading, and you're going to say black, they're going to say white. You're going to say mm. up, they're going to say down. And, and you're going to say something and say, why, 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 why? You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And after four years of that, you've got mm. a pretty, one, you've got a pretty nimble mind that's able to defend the position that it takes. And then two, you're actually comfortable with having your ideas challenged because they've been challenged every day for four years. And to this day, I couldn't tell you what the political perspectives of my professors were. And I feel like I owe them a thank you email retrospectively now. Cause it's like, you guys weren't telling me what to think. You allowed me to take whatever position I want. And then you're going to tell me I'm wrong. And that's the correct way to do it. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think that really shows, I think that your education really shows in the content that you produce. And I think that in, in a sense, I have some problems looking at the YouTube community, but there are certain voices in it that are actually bringing tools into mm. into the platform, which which would be critical thinking and and basic. You know, I, there's there's a lot of rhetoric involved in whatever you you dress up your ideas. You have to do that. Sure. You have to be persuasive. Um, but I think you're you're among one of the people who who are actually making the platform potentially more of an educational tool rather than just entertainment. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. That's, that's very kind. Yeah. And I think I, I want to break it off there because I, I love ending on compliments. Ah, okay. <laughs> yes. That's totally fine with me. But maybe you should think it. about a free breeze in the in the light socket. It's just it's just right there. It's just on your shoulders. Like well, right now it's blocked a little bit. But are you saying like in my normal video uh, orientation? Is that we? I don't know. It's just it's a socket. It just it's begging for for use. I guess. I mean, I don't know when the last time something was plugged in there. But you'd you'd be amazed too how many uh, how many emails. Not it's not a ton. Hmm. I shouldn't mischaracterize. But you know, you get messages or emails of just like the most. ADD observations about like the way you do things or the way you have mm. things arranged. And it's like, I didn't even notice this about <laughs> my stuff. Like what? I don't know. Well, that's, that's why I have a green screen and a bunch of hats. That's how I deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Keep them people. What, what is yeah. your, what's your trajectory? Do you see, I can cut this out if, if this is private information, but what do you see this oh, YouTube yeah. thing for? What um, are you using it for? Where are you going with it? I actually just want to keep doing exactly what I'm doing. You know, huh. I, I love doing this. The whole thing is sort of accidental for me. Uh, in you that I didn't doing gaming stuff. And then, you yeah, it was started... like pure hobby. Um, and I was just doing it on the side and cause I don't know, it was fun to do. And 
Uh, and I had a job, my old job that I did until two years ago was, uh, I did data analytics and, uh, research for, I, n- I never reveal who it was specifically cause, uh, I'll get in trouble and they'll get in trouble <laughs> and they probably wouldn't like me now. Uh, be- but it was a, it was a progressive advocacy group. Um, and I still generally stand by the core of their work. I don't mm-hmm. think that the core idea is actually too bad. Uh, mm-hmm. The problem is it got infested with the same type of social justice politics that I'm sure you saw in your experience at Evergreen. Now, of course, we didn't have people walking around with bats or anything. But I'm, what, I, what I'm talking about is like internal organizational equity meetings about who's oppressed in the workplace when we all worked under a union contract. And I worked mostly with racial minority women and we all got paid the same because it was a, a union contract. Like there was nothing to complain yeah. about in the place of work yet. We're wasting time. And like I said, this is a, this is a nonprofit advocacy group. So I, it really bothered me that people contributing to this organization, a lot of their money is going to like equity meetings and things that are not yeah. at the core of the organization at all. And uh, at the time, you know, as I was slowly waking up to this stuff and, Eventually, the cool manager I had moved on. I got placed under the management of somebody who was insufferable, impossible to work mm-hmm. with. And I knew um, based on the internal political environment, the writing was on the wall about my time there. So, and this was about the time I was like putting more effort into my YouTube channel anyway. And I thought, well, even if I stick around here, they're going to find this. So <laughs> I'm going to nuke this career and see what I can do with huh. uh, the time I can buy myself with the money I've saved. And it took like, I mean, it, it's, it's viable now, but it took like a year of, of, okay. um, of yeah. really hard work and like, you know, draining the money that I had, had saved prior. So mm-hmm. thankfully it was a gamble that paid off worst case scenario. Thankfully I've got good parents. Like if, if it didn't work, I would have had to go, you know, take an ego shot and, yeah. and move in with mom and dad while I try something else that didn't yeah. happen. Huh. Uh, but, but, um, but yeah, so what do I want to do? Basically this, what I, what would be cool I mean, it'd be nice if I could, if I could build like a website and maybe hire some people to help with like admin tasks and stuff. That'd be nice. For what? The other... For interacting with the community or for well, yeah, ba- your... you know, replying to emails, producing the stream I do would yeah. be nice. Um, maybe helping me with some of the like just behind the scene tasks of producing videos. That that would probably be helpful. Um, but the other side of it is like, I don't think I'm going to be good at handing off responsibilities. Like I, uh, I like huh. everything I make. I like that it is a hundred percent by me, you know, yeah. very frontiersman. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is if I hired some good talent, they could probably do a lot of that behind the scenes stuff better than I do it anyway. But there's a huh. certain pride that yeah. goes along with it. You know, it's like, yeah. I want it written by me. I want it recorded by me. I want it edited by me. I want it all by me. Hmm. And he, so I've been kind of hesitant to that idea, but the, it's not financially realistic just yet either, but yeah. it, it could happen. Um, what about your content? Do are you developing it? Are you working on, are you watching yourself develop? And do you have hmm. thoughts on like how you, you just want to go from one story to the next? Is that how yeah, I, kind of, I, I mean, I like, I like basically uh, going through the events of the, like, I want to do current event stuff. You know, I'm okay. happy with what I do now. Mm. Uh, and I'm happy with kind of the format that I've got going of doing shorter pieces and longer streams. And I, I mm. I'm definitely a creature of habit, you know, like I mm. basically have a schedule. I do this on this day and then they get posted on this day and yeah. I do that a million times over. So 
I really like the spot that I'm in. The, the other thing I love about the status quo is I go on the internet, I write my observations about what's happening in the world, I post them, then I shut it off and I go huh. do something else for like 12 hours and then I come back and do it again. So, huh. uh, so You're establishing I, a more healthy relationship with the medium then. Yeah, and just it's just a it's a much better quality of life than I had in a former office job. You know, I don't think people are supposed to sit for like eight hours a day in an office chair. I don't think mm -hmm. that's that's good for people. So, I know that it sounds kind of like uh, like you're always supposed to have this goal, like oh, I'm gonna achieve this by next year. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna build this, and it's like I I like the way things are. I, okay. <laughs> I just want to keep them the way they are. Yeah. And uh, hopefully I don't get banned, you know? Like that's <laughs> that's my only goal is not get banned on these platforms. Does that does that um when you're thinking of topics, do you think does that go through your mind? Well, this mm, could be banned. No, I mean, cuz I know everything's going to be demonetized by default. Oh, really? So, um huh. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure you've probably had your own experience with that sort of thing. Yeah, but, about 50% yeah, mine's mine's maybe more like three quarters, I would say. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. But the but the, as as you've probably seen, the thing that infuriates me is most of my videos are demonetized by default on upload, and then I appeal every single one, and actually I win most of the appeals. Mm. But that's usually four or five days later when the video has had about ninety yeah. percent of the play yeah. that it's ever yeah. going to get. Yeah, I've and been so, playing with tags and stuff like that to try I can't, to see what does or doesn't. Yeah, it's it's really the I I don't have a good sense of what the algorithm is looking for, so I don't bother like I'm just going to say what I'm going to say and I, I don't okay. think that I really don't think my content is ever too far out there that I that I fear like being banned or something. I f I guess the only thing that could happen is, you know, you're seeing these these mass roaming mobs of flaggers these days. They're going after whoever the target of the week is. So, yeah. I could definitely see that happening to me, but Usually what happens, like it just happened to Medicare recently. Um, yeah. So they've targeted other people. I could see that happening and it's like, yeah, you might be f falsely down for like three days yeah. but then you come back. Yeah. It would be an annoying obstacle, but. Hmm. Um, but you're not really worried about the platforms and the positions that they're on I'm, Facebook, Twitter, I'm, YouTube. I mean, I am. Okay. Uh, I definitely am because I don't like I'm not foolish enough to think, oh, it's just Alex Jones. They'll definitely stop there. <laughs> that's that's their line is Alex Jones. No, I think this time next year, you're going to see a lot more people of more mainstream conservative or libertarian perspectives who are banned on these platforms. I think that's going to be the natural progression of things. Hmm. Maybe that'll include me, maybe not. But the one hmm. I'm not going to worry about that until that actually happens. And I know that. um that where there's demand for a product, the audience finds it. And you're seeing it with that, like I said, with Alex Jones right now, if you look at the the rankings of where, where InfoWars has ranked in terms of website traffic, mm -hmm. it's jumped like a thousand spots because yeah. of this banning. And and that's because people who like InfoWars, they're not going to, they're not going to see InfoWars banned on YouTube and go, oh, I can't watch it on YouTube. Guess I'll tune into Chris mm. Cuomo now or something like that. That's not going to happen. They, they're mm. going to find it where it's available. So, you know, they could throw up their obstacles, but uh, but I enjoy mm. making this stuff and people yeah. enjoy watching it. So I'm going to find a place that will host it and we'll deal with the rest, you know, yeah. as yeah. as the obstacles arise. Yeah. You're not going to protest or call do any calls to action then. I see that mm. going around, but I don't know how effective that would be. Um, call it like protest against pushing, the companies? Well, yeah, pu pushing against YouTube, you know, like. Not. I probably won't do more than just like, I mean, I'll have critical commentary about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but yeah. Uh, the one thing I would like to see, and I'm just, I'm not, I, I always hate 
saying I'd like to see other people do this instead of me because <laughs> I should probably take some action myself. But it's like, I heard Ruben and Shapiro talking about this on a stream the other day or who was it? Ruben and somebody else maybe. But uh, they were just saying, it's like, okay, clearly there's all this punishment against the, the IDW, the intellectual dark web or whatever. And they're talking about like, why do we put up with the bullying from YouTube and the rest of these companies why don't we just make our own network and our own website? And I'm like, oh, why don't you guys do that? Because I'll jump ship tomorrow if you do. Yeah, 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 I yeah. would love to build something like that where it's just like, yeah. take that in, entire that entire well, circle yeah. of just independent um, political, cultural news commentary and just give them a home. And I'm I'm not saying it has to be I, ideologically pure. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd prefer it not be. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't. It's the same reason like. I, I don't want people banned on Twitter because I don't like the echo chamber effect. Like you go on Gab, I'm on Gab too, but it's just all the people banned on Twitter mostly. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. I, if if all these guys, if everybody agreed, I, I guess you know you think about creating like a creators union basically is what yeah, it would yeah, be. Exactly. But if everybody agreed, like, all right, YouTube, um, you're going to agree to these terms about being more content neutral, or we're going to post all of our stuff exclusively over on this other platform. And by the way, we're responsible for millions of views and subscribers on your platform that will mm -hmm. no longer be happening if you don't treat us seriously. I'd like yeah. to see something like that. That'd be great. I'd love yeah. to participate in something like that. You would, you would go the union route in that case. I guess, I mean, I guess you'd call it that it's not, it wouldn't be a labor union in the traditional sense. Cause you know, none of us are employees of theirs, but it would be, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. you know, as like a, as a it practical matter. Yeah. I mean, as a practical matter, the, the, the effects are the same, though. We provide their company value with our labor. They yeah. benefit from it. And yet they are giving us all kinds of... It's, it's not that they have... The thing that drives me the nuts mm -hmm. about YouTube is like, all right, you guys are the... In this analogy, you guys are the boss. It's your rules. And I get to choose, do I accept the rules or not in participating? But the problem is the rules are just entirely unclear, as we were talking about yeah, with trying to yeah. figure out the demonetization. Tell me what words I can say and what ones I can't, <laughs> and I will decide if I agree to participate or not. But it's a guessing game, and that's yeah. what's really frustrating. It might like, not even ultimately not be the words, but the opinions. Yeah. I mean, imagine a workplace where you're guessing the code of conduct at work every day and you might be randomly <laughs> punished or not. How would that be? That's what you're dealing with. You know, your bonus. Yeah. Your bonus at the end of the week is dependent on your vocabulary, but you don't have like the book. And yeah. And nobody knows what the rules are. You might be suspended from work tomorrow for unclear reasons, yeah. even though you've been providing the company a lot of value and working really hard. Yeah. And, and I have no, I have no problem with that. You know, YouTube has the infrastructure. I'm not saying that they, mm shouldn't get any benefit from, from that. But, but the reality is the value of that company is it's the you in the YouTube, man. It's yeah. the people, it's the people creating the content that's being watched. Yeah. So I, I think they'd be much smarter to, to listen to. It, it's so weird to see YouTube. They, they keep wanting to go that TV route. They're going to have YouTube originals and we're going to, you oh, know, yeah. boost, boost cable news content in the algorithm and stuff. It's like, <laughs> idiots people don't go to watch chris cuomo on your website they go there to watch unfiltered real people yeah talking about sometimes crazy opinions that's yeah. what built your platform anyway yeah. yeah the raw unrefined stuff yeah yeah it's a trade-off i wonder how it'll develop i i think we're still on the cutting edge of this whole 
technology and, and, and the way that information is being shuffled around. It's, it's such a cool time though. I, I often reflect about that. It's like, isn't it, we're talking about how cool it is to see some superior reasoning and change your mind earlier. There's never been a time where mm. a genius idea, a novel idea, a new perspective that people haven't considered can circulate so quickly. I think that's so cool. That could have never happened in past generations. It's like, yeah. and ideas have never been more empowered than they are. Yeah. Yeah. than they are now. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, positive ideas and, and not so positive yeah. ideas. But you got to have faith in the, 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 yeah. the, the free market of ideas, you know? Yeah, the laissez-faire, the yeah. invisible hand. Well, thanks a lot, Matt, for yeah, this granting me your time. This is a wonderful experience for me. Yeah, I appreciate the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I look forward to your clockwork episodes. Do you do two uh, a week or one a week? Yeah, and then well, so I do streams? I do the two. Yeah, I usually, not always, but usually do uh, two shorter videos. Yeah. And then I do a, our Sunday night stream that's like, Which is a like couple, three or two hours, three hours? Two, uh, well, we've been going too long lately, but ideally we're trying to trying to get it at two. And then uh, we do a What's call in show. What's the performance enhancing drug of choice for these live streams? <laughs> I so usually that, go with one beer. One beer, okay. One one beer, just to kind of take a little bit of the edge off, but th yeah. but that's about it. Uh, and then we do a Wednesday night call in show, but those are oh, really cool. those are live only. Um, and I post the audio to our podcast okay. audio platforms, but I don't leave them up on YouTube for a few reasons. Uh, because one is like it's just it's a totally random, unprepared product. Like sometimes it can be really interesting, sometimes it's like off the rails yeah. and crazy. So. I think that uh, it's a little bit too unpredictable for me to leave as like a feature mm. product. But what I do like about it is it's sort of fun, unpredictable listening for people who do want that. And it's also a good way to keep in touch with our audience. And yeah. so I, so I like, I like doing that. It's just, it's a little bit too crazy or off the walls. For, like, I just don't like the idea of somebody encountering my channel through that show. Oh, which okay. Sounds bad, I guess, but it, it's just like it, <laughs> It's a, it's a, there's no prep for it. You know, we just show up and we stream and we talk to people. So sometimes that can be really entertaining. Sometimes that can be like really boring. Sometimes that can be like, you're talking to a crazy person. Sometimes yeah. it can be really good. Maybe if you, yeah. if you oh, it's, really it's got are. some cringe. Yeah. It's definitely got some cringe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cringe is my favorite genre though. I love, is it? I love, oh, is yeah. that if, is that what you tag all your videos as? Like, is there a cringe category? <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I like viewing, I don't know. I'm sure to some people, my videos are cringe, but I like viewing. Uh, I mean, it's like why I liked the, the evergreen situation. Like I uh, genuinely loved watching those. I can't tell you how much time I spent like piecing together all those events that you apparently witnessed firsthand. Like yeah. going, th I was, there was so much going on. I, was, I remember sitting down, like I put it all together late at night because I couldn't believe what I was watching and trying to mm. piece together the sequences of events and all these clips and like, in what order did these happen? Yeah. What is the reason? Like connecting all the dots was just, it was like detective work, but it oh, was so... Oh, do you have your map? Did you, did you have a wall <laughs> with, with all the strings and the but, index cards? But it was so, it was actually fun. Like I spent hours watching evergreen footage, but it was actually fun. For most people, it, it wouldn't be. Uh, even God, like actually, you know what, actually I'll have to finish up here soon, but you know what, uh, what 
made me cringe the most of all the evergreen things, like all the crazy protest scenes, all the shouting, all that. What made me cringe the most is actually much more subtle. It was before George Bridges gave his huge concession speech in whatever that big room was. But they they were several speakers and they all gave this... Um, they all prefaced their commentary with like, we acknowledge that Evergreen was built on stolen land from the such and such tribe. And it was, it was this cult-like ritual that they all had to do about stolen Native American land. It was really weird and it made me cringe really hard. Really? Huh. Yeah. Interesting. No, no, that's, that's just part of the culture there now. Every, huh. every major event has to have that go on. That is like decided by the administration or what? Uh, the, uh, the students demanded that and the, the administration seated. <laughs> and actually, no, it this that form, it's not unique to Evergreen. Evergreen is just like the outlier, but yeah. that that is all over the place. A lot of places in Australia and Canada are now implemented. Huh. I had never seen something like that. So that was... Comes out of the blue. Really strange. It's like the first time me. when people specify their pronouns, you're like, "Wait, what?" That you... that was the other part. My name Doing... is George Bridges, and I use he <laughs> his pronouns. Like, come on, dude. What? You oh, have to know for God. sure, I guess. You know. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, uh, all right. Well, thank you for hosting, man. I appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, man.